this is July 20, and every day is a holiday with Mary Stone. This is our podcast celebrating every day of everyone's life. Our message really is simple, and it is that we are all of one spirit. And what could that mean? It means that despite our varied creeds and cultures, at their cores, most religions share the same critical sentiments and principles. We are all of one spirit. Holidays, holy days, happy days. We celebrate life, love, loss, and legacy. This is our commonwealth. Today the Episcopal Church honor four American women. The aforementioned Elizabeth Cady Stanton was an American suffragist, social activist, abolitionist, and leading figure of the early women's rights movement. Her Declaration of Sentiments, presented at Seneca Falls Convention, held in 1848 in Seneca Falls, New York, is often credited with initiating the first organized women's rights and women's suffrage movements in the United States. Stanton was president of the National Women's Suffrage Association from 1892 until 1900. Before Stanton narrowed her political focus almost exclusively to women's rights, she was an active abolitionist with her husband, Henry Brewster Stanton, co-founder of the Republican Party, and cousin, Jarrett Smith. Unlike many of those involved in the women's rights movement, Stanton addressed various issues pertaining to women beyond voting rights. Her concerns included women's parental and custody rights, property rights, employment and income rights, divorce, the economic health of the family, and birth control. She was also an outspoken supporter of the 19th century temperance movement. After the American Civil War, Stanton's commitment to female suffrage caused a schism in the women's rights movement when she, together with Susan B. Anthony, declined to support passage of the 14th and 15th Amendments to the United States Constitution. She opposed giving added legal protection and voting rights to African American men, while women, black and white, were denied those same rights. Her position on this issue, together with her thoughts on organized Christianity, and women's issues beyond voting rights led to the formation of two separate women rights organizations that were finally rejoined with Stanton as president of the joint organization about 20 years after her break from the original movement. Stanton died in 1902 having written both the Women's Bible and her autobiography, 80 Years and More and many other articles and pamphlets about female suffrage and women's rights. Amelia Jenks Bloomer was an American women's rights temper and temperance advocate. Even though she did not create the women's clothing reform style known as bloomers, her name became associated with it because of her early and strong advocacy. In 1848, Bloomer attended the Seneca Falls Convention, the first women's rights convention. The following year, she began editing the first newspaper for women, The Lily. It was published bi-weekly from 1848 until 1853. The newspaper began as a temperance journal, 
but came to have a broad mix of contents ranging from recipes to moralist tracts, particularly when under the influence of activist and suffragette Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony. Bloomer felt that because women lecturers were considered unseemingly, writing was the best way for women to work for reform. Originally, Lily was to be for home distribution among members of the Seneca Falls Ladies Temperance Society, which had formed in 1848, and eventually had a circulation of over 4,000. The paper encountered several obstacles early on, and the society's enthusiasm died out. This newspaper was a model for later periodicals focused on women's suffrage. Bloomer described her experience as the first woman to own, operate, and edit a news vehicle for women. It was a needed instrument to spread abroad the truth of a new gospel to woman, and I could not withhold my hand to stay the work I had begun. I saw not the end from the beginning and dreamed where to my propositions to society would lead me. In her publication, Bloomer promoted a change in dress standards for women that would be less restrictive in regular activities. The costume of women should be suited to her wants and necessities. It should condone at once to her health, conduce at once to her health, comfort, and usefulness. And while it should not fail also to conduce, to her personal adornment, it should make that end of secondary importance. In 1851, New England temperance activist Elizabeth Smith Miller, aka Libby Miller, adopted what she considered a more rational costume, loose trousers gathered at the ankles like women's trousers worn in the Middle East and Central Asia topped by a short dress or skirt and vest. The costume was worn publicly by actress Fanny Kemble. Miller displayed her new clothing to Stanton, her cousin, who found it sensible and becoming and adopted it immediately. In this garb, Stanton visited Bloomer, who began to wear the costume and promoted enthusiastically in her magazine. Articles on the clothing trend were picked up in the New York Tribune. More women wore the fashion, which was promptly dubbed the Bloomer costume, or Bloomers. However, the Bloomers were subjected to ceaseless ridicule in the press and harassment on the street. Bloomer herself dropped the fashion in 1859, saying that a new invention, the crinoline, was a sufficient reform that she could return to a conventional dress. Bloomer remained a suffrage pioneer and writer throughout her life writing for a wide array of periodicals. Although Bloomer was far less famous than other suffragists, she made many significant contributions to the women's movement, particularly concerning dress reform and the temperance movement. Bloomer led suffrage campaigns in Nebraska and Iowa and served as president of the Iowa Women's Suffrage Association from 1871 until 1873. Sojourner Truth was an African-American abolitionist and women's rights activist. Truth was born into slavery and swore to kill Ulster County, New York, but escaped with her infant daughter to freedom in 1826. After going to court to recover her son 
1828, she became the first black woman to win such a case against a white man. She gave herself the name Sojourner Truth in 1843 after she became convinced that God had called her to leave the city and go into the countryside, testifying the hope that was in her. Her best-known speech was delivered extemporaneously in 1851 at the Ohio Women's Rights Convention in Akron, Ohio. The speech became widely known during the Civil War by the title, Ain't I a Woman? A variation of the original speech, rewritten by someone else, using a stereotypical Southern dialect. Whereas Sojourner Truth was from New York and grew up speaking Dutch as her first language. During the Civil War, Truth helped recruit black troops for the Union Army. After the war, she tried unsuccessfully to secure land grants from the federal government for former slaves. In 2014, Truth was included in Smithsonian Magazine's list of the 100 most significant Americans of all time. Harriet Tubman was an American abolitionist, humanitarian, and an armed scout and spy for the United States Army during the American Civil War. Born into slavery, Tubman escaped and subsequently made some 13 missions to rescue approximately 70 enslaved family and friends using the network of anti-slavery activists and safe houses known as the Underground Railroad. She later helped abolitionist John Brown recruit men for his raid on Harper's Ferry and, in a post-war era, was an active participant in the struggle for women's suffrage. Born a slave in Dorchester County, Maryland, Tubman was beaten, beaten and whipped by her various masters as a child. Early in life, she suffered traumatic head wound when an irate slave owner threw a heavy metal weight intending to hit another slave and hit her instead. The injury caused dizziness, pains, and spells of hypersomnia, which occurred throughout her life. She was a devout Christian and experienced strange visions and vivid dreams, which she ascribed to premonitions from God. In 1849, Tubman escaped to Philadelphia, then immediately returned to Maryland to rescue her family. Slowly, one group at a time, she brought relatives with her out of the state, and eventually, guided dozens of other slaves to freedom. Traveling by night and in extreme secrecy, Tubman, or Moses as she was called, never lost a passenger. After the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 was passed, she helped guide fugitives farther north into British North America and helped newly freed slaves find work. When the Civil War began, Tubman worked for the Union Army first as a cook and a nurse, and then as an armed scout and spy. The first woman to lead an armed expedition in the war, she guided the raid at Combahee Ferry, which liberated more than 700 slaves. After the war, she retired to the family home on property which she had purchased in 1859 in Auburn, New York, where she cared for her aging parents. She was active in the women's suffrage movement until illness overtook her and she had to be admitted to a home for elderly African Americans that she had helped to establish years earlier. 
After she died in 1913, she became an icon of American courage and freedom. On April 20, 2016, the U.S. Treasury Department announced the plan for Tubman to replace Andrew Jackson as the portrait gracing the $20 bill. There really is always a holiday somewhere on this planet. Find a reason for joy and share it. Thank you for sharing your time with us. I'm Mary Stone, the irreverent interfaith reverend, with my writing partner, the holy mess, and holy nice, Brian O'Malley.